This morning for our scripture reading, we turn to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58 is not about the Sabbath as such, which is the subject of the sermon this morning as we consider the fourth commandment. It's about really fasting, but the principles are the same as long as you can consider that fasting was a form of worship. And the Lord here shows in this example how the activity of fasting had been corrupted in a number of ways and what true spiritual fasting is, thus helpful in helping us understand what true worship of God on the Sabbath is. So Isaiah 58, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not, Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife, and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. 
And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones and thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Read that far in God's holy word. And this morning we consider the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 38 on the fourth commandment, which I will read to have it before us once again. Fourth commandment is, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Then Lord's Day 38 asks, What doth God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained. And that I, especially on the Sabbath, that is on the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God to hear his word, to use the sacraments publicly to call upon the Lord and contribute to the relief of the poor as becomes a Christian. Secondly, that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works and yield myself to the Lord to work by his Holy Spirit in me and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, it should be obvious to you that there is much more to this commandment than one might first think or imagine. The commandment itself is extremely simple and plain. Remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. And yet, How much is there? I say it should be evident to us even at first glance, really, because consider in the first place that it's talking about a particular ceremonial day. 
that we all know in the Old Testament was on a Saturday. It speaks specifically about a specific day, in a specific day that we don't observe anymore. There's a ceremonial aspect to this commandment. And yet we still keep it. In other words, one could look at this commandment and especially do so in the light of the gospel. And considering this commandment, one must consider the individual and the church in the light of the whole law of God. The Scriptures teach we're not under the law, we're under grace. So does that mean that the commandments disappear, they're abrogated, they're fulfilled, they're done away with? And often when that question is asked, it's sometimes answered, well, yes, because look at the fourth commandment. It talks about the Sabbath day and the Sabbaths along with all the rest of the ceremonies, like the Passover, like circumcision, and all sorts of other ceremonies and rituals of the Old Testament Jew are all done away with. And so the fourth commandment is done away with too, and the church has rejected that notion and said, oh no, it's an abiding commandment. It must be an abiding commandment. And pointed to the Scriptures. So underlying the explanation we have in Lord's Day 38 is the understanding that this commandment is still abiding, still binding upon us. And therefore that word Sabbath has to be seen in the right light. Look also at the explanation of the Heidelberg Catechism itself. It's not simply about our life in a single day, but all of our life. It doesn't simply talk about the kinds of activities that one might do perhaps in what we call the New Testament Sabbath, the first day of the week, our Sunday, but it talks about ceasing from my evil works all the days of my life and maintaining the schools and the ministry of the gospel. We don't maintain the ministry of the gospel in the schools only on Sunday by our collections or even our presence at church. Notice it talks about other activities that are becoming a Christian. So there's much more here than anybody that knows anything about the history of the Sabbath. And as is pointed out by Isaiah 58, it's also very clear that one cannot keep the Sabbath of rest by simply laboring. On the one hand, it should be clear that when we talk about the day of rest, that the Sabbath day and keeping it involves rest. It's called the day of rest. Yet Scripture talks us about us laboring to enter into that rest. It's not a day of idleness. It's a day of activity. Simply look at what we're doing here today. Look at the activities that are listed here in Lord's Day 38. Rest does not mean idleness. It involves activity. And yet at the same time, one cannot keep the Sabbath day simply by fulfilling a checklist of activities. God showed time and time again that he abhorred that kind of Sabbath keeping.
In Isaiah 58, that's what the people were doing. They were meticulously observing fasting. God said there, from an outward viewpoint, there was no criticism that could be laid upon Israel about the frequency and their strict observance of fasting. And yet the Lord said he didn't bless it. He ignored it. In fact, he condemned it. And then he explains why. <clears throat> he explains that their heart wasn't in it. They were fasting for the wrong reasons. They were fasting for self-serving reasons. <clears throat> and the Lord told them what fasting really was all about. And you'll notice as we read it was all about caring for the neighbor, especially the neighbor who was oppressed and downtrodden, giving of their goods, not simply abstaining from food, but giving their food to others. Well, with that in mind, let's consider this commandment then this morning under the theme, Keeping the Sabbath Holy. And we'll look at first the commandment, secondly the rest, and then the blessing. First, the commandment. The key to understanding the Sabbath day is, first of all, to understand that all four commandments in the first table of the law have behind them or underneath them a principle about God. There is no commandment that is arbitrary. That lie comes from the devil, that the commandments are arbitrary, the arbitrary whim of God. But behind every one of them is a principle, and that principle always is rooted in God, about who God is and what God is. So, for example, the first commandment is firmly grounded in the truth that God is one. The one only true God. Exactly because there is only one true God, there may be in our minds and in our worship and in our receiving and trusting no other God. There may be no other gods in our life exactly because there is no other gods than the one true God. The second commandment, which requires we worship God as he requires in his word, that we are not to make images of God. We are not to worship God by means of images. We are to worship God the way that he tells us, which is spirit and truth. The principle underlying that commandment is that God cannot be represented by images because he is spirit. He is spirit. He is the invisible God who is known only by his own revelation, particularly the revelation of his only begotten son, the image of him. That's the principle under the second. The third, too, has a principle behind it. Why is it that we may not take the name of God in vain? The answer is because God is holy. God is one, God is spirit, and God is holy, entirely consecrated unto himself. 
completely the antithesis to sin and wickedness and everything common. He is in that holiness highly exalted and glorious. And therefore, even when we speak, we must speak about Him and of Him and to Him in a holy manner, in a way that is in accord with His own holiness. We may not even use His name in a way that is common and profane. Now, the fourth commandment. What's the principle? And you might be inclined to cite the ground for the commandment that's cited. If you did so, you would not be far off base, but you still would have missed the point The ground that's cited in the commandment itself is, well, keep the Sabbath day because God made the whole world in six days and he himself rested. But when you look at that ground carefully and in the light of Scripture, you will discover that there's a ground even hidden and found in that one. Because if you look at it closely, we know that God worked in six days. He labored in six days. That in six days He created the whole heavens and the earth. And then He rested. And the idea is He's still resting. He's no longer creating, He's resting. But what is it that God's doing? Is he doing nothing? Some say, yeah. Yeah, the whole world basically is just kind of running on its own. God sitting in heaven twiddling his thumbs with his feet up in the air doing not much of anything. He's idle. And that's not true. Even our own confessions following the Holy Scriptures teach that God is busy, very, very, very busy. He is busy caring for this very world that he has made. He is very busy delivering this world from the sin and death and destruction that man brought upon it. Oh, he's very, very busy, but that busyness is called rest. Then if one looks a little deeper one notices something about that rest even beyond that. And that is that even the Sabbath day and its connection to rest has a developing revelation in Scripture. First of all, the connection between the Sabbath and rest. If you were simply to summarize the fulfillment of the Sabbath in a single word, It would be rest. That's literally what the word means. Now it's closely associated with the number seven. Which word seven is very similar in the original language to the word Sabbath. But the word Sabbath means rest. And God appointed one day in seven for that rest. And yet, 
God did so in such a way to show that what he was commanding and what he was setting forth always had a fulfillment and a developing fulfillment. For example, the commandment itself is rooted in the creation ordinance itself. That's interesting. If you want to look at the original Sabbath and the original command regarding the Sabbath, one doesn't go to Sinai. When the rest of the commandments were given, one goes to creation. One goes to the ordinances of creation like one would do with the origins of marriage and one would do with the origins of civil government. They are rooted not in a commandment as such, but God's very creation and the ordinances of the creation He placed in it. And yet it's not until Sinai that God makes clear, I want this day, this day here, this particular day out of the seven to be a Sabbath. Then, when we get to the New Testament, after Christ has come, there's more revelation about this Sabbath. In fact, there's wonderful commentary, even on the Old Testament Sabbath, where God connects things that we wouldn't necessarily connect, which is Israel giving, being given this commandment on Mount Sinai, and then not entering Canaan. You all know the history that immediately after Sinai, they went to Canaan. They got to Canaan. They sent out spies. The spies looked around and ten of them came back and said, it's impossible. We can't take this land. The people are too strong. The city's too tall and the wall's too thick. And even though it's a beautiful, wonderful place, look at these fruits we took back. We've got to turn around. We've got to go back to Egypt back into the bondage of Egypt, but two men in faith said, no, let's go. The Lord has given us the victory, and you know the history. For 40 more years they wandered until everybody 20 and older was dead. And only then did they enter into Canaan. Under the leader, Joshua, or Jesus. And then there's commentary on that. And the commentary is not simply that they didn't enter into Canaan, but they didn't enter into the rest. And particularly the rest of the Sabbath. In other words, there's a connection between this one day called the Sabbath and its rest and the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. That's entering into that Sabbath rest. And even the little children here know that Canaan was a picture of heaven. That heaven is the Sabbath rest. And it's interesting that we enter into heaven by going to sleep. We all enter into the rest of Sabbath, the heavenly Sabbath, in a number of ways. We know that in the New Testament it's by doing what we're doing and we're going to consider some of those labors now. We call that a foretaste of the heavenly rest, do we not? That when we gather here, there's a connection between what we do here and what happens after our life. Those aren't two disconnected activities. They're connected, and God connected them by making clear 
that you and I, when we gather here on the Sabbath day, the New Testament Sabbath day, this Sunday to worship, even this is not the fulfillment of the fourth commandment. We're keeping it, but it's not being fulfilled in this entirely. There's more. One must die. One must go to sleep in their body, then they enter into that rest. And even there, the scriptures remind us, and that rest is not idleness. One does not simply enter into the heavenly rest by resting in a casket in the ground as to their body. No, they're very busy. In their soul, they're doing something. There's something going on. And then the scriptures make clear that that's really not even the perfection. The perfected Sabbath has to do with Jesus' return. When the church of God, oh, we're the church of God, there's something more about the Sabbath, is there not? Does not the Scriptures teach that there's a connection to the fulfillment of the Sabbath and this rest and not only a particular day, and particular activities, but a location, a place. Everybody knew, partly because of its connection to the other commandments, is that the Sabbath was especially fulfilled in a place by gathering in Jerusalem, by going to the tabernacle and the temple of God. And there, there is where the Sabbath was fulfilled. Now, the Scriptures did so in such a way by also making clear that there was plenty of other Sabbath-keeping that occurred at home on one's farm and one's inheritance. But especially on that particular day, in a particular place, and then we find out that the people of God are called that place. They're called Zion. They're called the tabernacle and temple of God. And then we read, when Jesus comes... The tabernacle of God comes with him. And the church, the church where the Sabbath is fulfilled, comes down from heaven. And there, finally, in an entirely new creation, there is rest. Rest not only for the soul, which has been resting, but the body which has been resting There is rest, body, and soul in this new creation. Now, the very, very important question is, what is this rest? If the Sabbath is a day of rest, and the Sabbath is fulfilled primarily by rest, which rest also is a very busy rest, What is it? What is it? Is it, strictly speaking, to go through the motions of certain activities? Is it to come to church twice on Sunday, pitch some money in a collection plate, open your mouth and sing as we sing four numbers, to listen as I'm praying for you and with you? No. Never was, never has been. In fact, what's interesting is the Bible would simply characterize that as works. 
characterizing it as saving one's self by works. It's the very same thing as Israel imagining that their fasting was pleasing to Jehovah and that he received it because, well, they were fasting and they were regularly following all the commandments regarding fasting. This is the same error that the Pharisees made. And if you don't think that this Lord's Day about the Sabbath is important, please read the Gospel accounts again. And take note that almost all of the controversy that Jesus had with those who would kill him began and concerned the Sabbath day. It did. And Jesus initiated that controversy very early because Jesus was getting at the heart of what was wrong with the Pharisees. Now the problem with the Pharisees weren't that they were Ignoring the Sabbath day, that too is not keeping the Sabbath day. If the Pharisees had been a people that had shut down the temple and decided to go on big long vacations and absent themselves from going up to Jerusalem to worship, that's not keeping the Sabbath. There's much of the church world that imagines that's how they keep the Sabbath day. We're going to worship with our family is the big excuse today. And we're going to do that on the boat skiing around a lake. And we're going to do that on top of a mountain skiing down on some snow. And we're going to do that over here on the beach with our lawn chairs spread out and our suntan lotion all slathered on. That's we're, we're keeping the Sabbath day. We're keeping the Sabbath day while we hike through the parks, while we drive our cars around here, there, and everywhere. What nonsense. What nonsense. What foolishness. It's so obvious that's so self-serving, self-seeking, and the thing that exposes it is, that's exactly what the world does. Here you are, the church, the temple of God, the organization that claims to be the house of the living God where the worship of God actually goes on, and you can tell no difference in your life and the world. Your life is simply mad-crazed, entertainment-crazed, Now, that just didn't happen. If you follow the history of where that happens, you will discover that the beginning of it is always a legalistic view of the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is simply kept by this rule and that rule and this rule and that rule. And you would think, well, that's antinomianism. But no, it begins with legalism. That one can keep the Sabbath day by his own works and is doing that by his own works. And God is pleased with those own works. And why that leads to antinomianism is because the individual sets the rules. Not God, but the individual. So that soon one worship service is plenty. God ought to be happy with that. And then, well, why do I have to worship God in just a building? I can worship God wherever I am. I do that on the other six days, so why not on the seventh too? And you see, it leaves God out of sight because keeping the Sabbath day really never had anything to do with God. That's what legalism is. Worship of God is simply following rules and regulations. But worshiping God is worshiping God. So one must worship God to worship God. That should be pretty 
obvious. But it's not a matter of just following the rules. And time and time again that was shown to be false and exposed as false. Isaiah 58 is one. Read the Gospels and the account of Jesus on the other. And he exposed the hypocrisy of it all. Exposed how not only was it a matter of rules, but it was their own rules. They were already not following God rules. And that was evident because God had made clear that entering into that rest had something to do with the neighbor, caring for the neighbor, which is why they charged Jesus with sin for healing on the Sabbath day. We could go on here, but we're answering the question, what is this rest? What really is it? And the answer is, it's to enter into the life of God itself. You see, the principle underlying the Sabbath, the principle underlying the fourth commandment is that God is three. That God is not simply one and only God, but He's a God of three. He's a God of persons. And in that person, God lives a life of rest. Not a life of idleness. Not a life of doing nothing. That's never life. Doing nothing is never life. Doing nothing is nothing. God lives a life, a life of love, a life of fellowship, a life of friendship. And in that life is perfect peace. A life of perfect contentment and joy and delight. That's rest. That was what was being pictured time and time and time again by the commandment. That's what underlies the commandment and that's what God means when He says, enter into my rest. That is, enter into my own life. Now God has chosen to do that in a particular way. God has chosen to do that in the way of sin and grace. To show and reveal that there is, first of all, no rest for the soul outside of Him. By showing also that we are people who are made for a particular rest, a busy rest, an active rest, a very living, living rest, just like God. And we are restless. We are weary. We are filled with anxiety. We are filled with all sorts of trouble when we are kept from that rest. That's what explains the world. That's what explains the individual that does not want to worship on Sunday, that does not have that rest. If you examine and you look inside, you will find out they are just a turmoil of busyness, anxiety, restless. Rest is found in God and only in God. And God has taught us that. That there is only true contentment and peace amidst all the weariness and all the busyness and all the hustle and bustle of life, whether sinful or not, in God. You found that out for yourself, have you not? Have you not ever found out that what we call rest is really no rest at all? Yes, I know, we take rest at night. 
And God has given us that rest at night as a blessing. And we take vacations. Those are a form of rest. We rest from our labors, our normal labors, and we take a vacation. It's a form of rest. But have you found out that if improperly done, there's no rest in it? You come back exhausted, more weary than when you left. And not now just as concerns the body because you're so busy, but even the soul. You go on vacation and you're out of your norm. Your devotions get left behind. Your Bible may be still sitting on the counter. You're not in the house of God with the rest of the people of God. You're on vacation. You're on rest. And you come home and you find that your soul is actually more troubled than when you departed what's going on. You didn't enter into the real rest which is found only in God. The rest of the Sabbath is fellowship with God, is it not? Is not the true keeping of the Sabbath to have fellowship with God? And that is what we do on this day, if I may put it that way, more than any other. Not that this activity is limited to this day, aha! That's why, even though we have one commandment targeting one particular day, we have in our explanation, the right explanation, a true explanation of all of Scripture, that this is activity that cannot be limited to this day. It is limited to this day for a reason. It's because of the world we live in. It's because of the fact that we still must labor for our daily bread. Because we cannot enter into the house of God because of sin and sinfulness and all kinds of other reasons. Worship God continually. God even accommodates us in this commandment. In a certain way, God says, Look, give me one day out of seven. One day out of seven. But God also does that in such a way and says, but don't forget, calling to enter into that rest really every day, every hour, every minute of that day. That's the real requirement here. And that the entering of this rest is fellowship with God, covenant fellowship with God, is why it's connected to the number seven. You children know that too, don't you? Seven is the number of the covenant. It's the number that reminds us that our God is a covenantal God who lives a life of fellowship. And so one day in seven, God says, enter into that fellowship in a way you cannot the other days. And that's why the third commandment sets forth the requirements that it does. If you look at what it means to worship God in spirit and truth, it's to do what we do here. You're not here to listen to a sermon. You're here to enter into fellowship with God. When we pray, we're entering into fellowship with God. When we sing, we're fellowshipping with God. Even when you toss your money in the collection plate, it's a reflection of that. That's for the care of the neighbor. And if you search the Scriptures, you're going to discover whether it's taught by Moses or whether it's taught by Jesus, care of the neighbor, especially the oppressed neighbor, the neighbor who needs what God gave you is carried out on the Sabbath day, the day to put your money in the collection plate. It used to be, 
I don't know if it is so much anymore to our shame. It used to be the day when the people of God would go visit the sick. That's the day that Christians, mothers and fathers, elders and deacons, even little children would walk or get on their horse or get in their car and go visit the shut-ins in the rest homes, go see how they're doing, and go give them what they lack in their loneliness and in their sickness and disease. We don't do that much anymore. shows you the slippage of the Sabbath that's going on. It's not only that we feel more frequent the desire and even the ability to just absent ourselves from the worship of God, but it's things like that creeping in. We must be concerned about the fact that we think we keep the Sabbath by just simply showing up here once or twice. God should be pleased with that. And what we do here and what I do the rest of the day is really off limits. God expecting too much. And then we must ask, well then, how far really are we apart or separate from the children of Israel whom God not only rebuked, but he put back into captivity for a while, ripped them out of their homes and families and from the land of Canaan and placed them in Babylon for a while to wake them up to what Sabbath-keeping was really all about. So as far as keeping it, let's look then exactly at the things that are listed because those are the things. Not a, not a complete list, but a beginning. And notice that going to church twice on Sunday is not first. Maintaining the gospel in the schools is first. Maintaining them. How do you maintain them? And the answer is, first of all, by your presence, secondly, by your interest, and third, with your financial support. Maintaining is a matter of support, and support especially by your presence. I remember talking to ministers, a number of them, and people, who went to church or preached in churches where the second service was either on the decline or being eliminated. In some cases it had already been eliminated. And the basic argument was, well, no one comes, so why should we have it? The complaint of one minister was he couldn't even get his elders to come to church. Sad. How'd that happen? Well, there was no support for the gospel. And notice, just not church service, but the gospel. There was no concern about how one enters into fellowship with God. It had been replaced with this notion that one enters into fellowship with God exactly by one's own works. When the fact of the matter is, one enters into fellowship with God through Jesus Christ and faith in Him alone as the one who has paid for all our violation of the commandments of God and all of our sins and sinfulness, and then enjoying that in Jesus Christ, faith in Him. In other words, it's enjoyed by the understanding that one is delivered from the curse of the law. One is no longer under the law, but under grace. Do you get that? You see, how you worship 
whether you worship as under the law or under grace, makes all the difference in the world. And it's made all the difference in the world because it has to do with whether one realizes or believes they're saved by works or by their grace, God's grace. And if one is saved by one's works, then pretty soon, then, yeah, you know the story. If one is saved by grace, then, then there's, there's, there's no amount of worship and love of God that's sufficient. One could give God their entire life perfectly and still not thank God enough for what He's done. So that comes first, maintaining the gospel in the Christian schools and maintaining it primarily in our heart and then with our money and presence and everything else. But then diligently, frequently, the house of God, church of God, worship. What we're doing here in this particular place, notice, to hear His Word and to use the sacraments and publicly call upon the Lord and contribute to the relief of the poor as becomes a Christian. See, all those are the elements of worship, the main elements that we observe here. We publicly call upon the name of prayer and God in prayer and in singing. We contribute to the relief of the poor. That's what we do here in church. But notice this. Secondly, that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works and yield myself to the Lord. You see, there's a connection between Sabbath observance and one's life. Good elders know that. It's why often they can spot a problem in an individual's life. And by problem, I mean that someone has succumbed to sin. They can see that someone has not yielded themselves to the Lord, but to the devil. And they are not ceasing from their evil works, but they're living in those evil works. And it almost always shows by church attendance. And when the elders take notice of that and start asking some questions, that's not because they're legalists and are taking checklists and seeing who's here and who's not, because they're simply concerned about the fourth commandment. They realize there's a connection. There's a connection between that and one's life. There always is. What's the connection? The connection is pretty simple. When one is not ceasing from their evil works but living in them, then they can't worship God. It's impossible to do both. It's impossible. And then either worship of God on Sunday becomes something you loathe, something that's not very much fun, not very entertaining, but even worse than that, something one cannot do. Because this is the place where, more than any other, we have close fellowship with God. And that's very hard to do when living life as a hypocrite. Oh, it's done. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of people that come to church faithfully. They're always here. They're in here in body, in presence, and their mouth is moving and all kinds of stuff, but are not observing the Sabbath day at all because they're not ceasing from their evil works either and don't really care to. But there's that connection. Don't ever forget it. If you think you can live life apart from God, not entering into His rest, not finding fellowship with Him and living in fellowship with Him the other six days. You won't on Sunday. And if you don't on Sunday, you won't the other six days a week. There's that connection, and it's right here in our Heidelberg Catechism. 
And notice, too, that's to begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. I have a question. Why, if you are not interested in worshiping God on Sunday, or for that matter, the other six days of the week, why would you be interested in heaven? I have a chilling answer for you. And the answer is you're not. If you think that you have interest in heaven and would find delight in the worship of God in heaven, let alone eternally in a new heavens and earth, but you have no interest or little interest of that on Sunday or the rest of the week, you're lying to yourself. You see, there's that connection too. There is a connection between entering into the Sabbath rest now and entering later. It's not while you enter later because you do it now. The, the reason is, is because the same interest in heaven and heavenly things and spiritual things is first expressed here on earth on Sunday, especially on Sunday. And not only that, but the great blessedness of Sunday is it creates a hunger and a thirst for spiritual things of the kingdom of heaven. If you truly worship God and enter into His fellowship and taste it, and taste how wonderful and blessed and glorious it is, then your eyes will always be drawn up to spiritual things. Then all these earthly things like vacations and houses and money and work and all that all goes away. You see, that's what it means to enter into that rest. It's here where we find out all these other things, they don't mean much. And then you don't ask these dumb questions either, like, will there be golf in heaven and sports and vacations and beaches and motorhomes? The important thing about heaven is God is there. And that's what we have now on the Sabbath day. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, O Lord, we thank Thee for the Sabbath day that Thou hast given us to enter into that rest, that glorious, wonderful, blessed life of fellowship with Thee. And we thank Thee for speaking with us this morning of bringing to mind our own sin and sinfulness, the forgiveness that we have only in Jesus Christ, and that it is in Him and Him alone that we have fellowship and thus enter into that rest. And that rest is the blessed activity of worshiping Thee and praying unto Thee and glorifying Thy name and finding therein the peace and rest that our souls so crave. Lord, give us that rest and draw our eyes heavenward to the glorious eternal rest in the soul after death and in the body at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.